0: Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Don't you ever forget this. Don't you ever forget this. We can always run to Jesus. And when you're too lost and too weak to run to Him, don't ever forget this. Jesus will be faithful to run to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are ever faithful, strong, and true, and kind. And so now as we open your word, what we have not, give us. And what we know not, teach us. And what we are not yet, make us. Complete your glorious good work in us by the preaching and spirit-wrought application of your word. Amen. You open to Proverbs chapter 4. Our question this morning is, what if I don't feel like it? What do I do when my feelings are out of line? And we're going to try to answer that question today with our Bibles open from several passages. And the best way to answer that question, at least for the next few minutes, is going to be to break it down into a bunch of other questions. And so we'll kind of work through several questions about this whole area of feelings. Let's begin by reading Proverbs 4. Verses 20 through 27. The core here that we're focusing on is verse 23. Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and all your ways will be secure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. In answering the question, how do we deal with our feelings, we're going to break that down into several other questions. First question. What are feelings? What are they? What are feelings? I looked up a couple of dictionary definitions, and they didn't help at all. It's hard to define something that doesn't have physical, material substance, like feelings. What are feelings? Well, they're a part of human life. And so think about it this way. Think about the human body. In fact, one of the reasons I picked Proverbs 4, just look at Proverbs 4, 20 to 27, and like, if you want to, with your eyes or with your finger, touch each thing in there that is a part of the human anatomy. Verse 20, your ear. Verse 21, your sight. Verse 21, your heart. Your, verse 22, your flesh. Verse 23, your heart. And then he says your eyes in verse 25. And then he says the path of your feet. What are feelings? Feelings are emotional states or moods. That's just what they are, I suppose. But feelings certainly are a big part of life. Just like what you do with your hands and where you go with your feet are a big part of your life, what you feel inside of you is a big and important part of your life. What are feelings? Let's say it like this. Feelings are an important part of life but they are not the most important part of life. Get that. What are feelings? Feelings are an important part of my life, but they are not the most important part of my life. They're not the most important thing about you. The Bible says, what is the most important thing about you? Ready for this? That's why we picked Proverbs 4.23. The Bible says, what is the most important thing about you? And the Bible insists, Old and New Testament, that the most important thing about you is your heart. The most important thing about you is your heart, not the physical heart, though you would die if that wasn't working right, but your heart, your spiritual heart. And your heart, biblically speaking, is not your feelings. Your heart, biblically speaking, is not your feelings. What are feelings? Your heart, biblically speaking, isn't your feelings. So, I guess just right at the beginning, if you're somebody who really struggles with your feelings, I want you to, I kind of want you to take a, <laughs> like, take a breath and, and unclench your, your either physical fists or, or spiritual resisting fists and just say, don't worry about your feelings so much. They're not the most important thing about you. They matter. They impact you. They influence you. Quit worrying about them so much. Breathe a little easier. When God commands you to love him with all your heart, God isn't commanding you to feel a certain way. So stop worrying about it. When God commands you to love him with all your heart, that's not a command merely to your emotions or to your feelings. It's something different than that and deeper than that. Hear that and maybe breathe a sigh of relief. Right at the outset, I want to correct your unclear thinking about the priority of your feelings. I wrote down a couple things to say that almost sound like a tongue twister, but I don't mean for them to be a tongue twister. They're actually meant to be helpful. If you feel that your feelings are all important, you'll never get a handle on your feelings. If you feel that your feelings are all important, you'll never get a handle on your feelings. It's another way of saying this. Again, it's kind of a tongue twister, but I don't mean it to be. Maybe maybe this. Your feelings about your feelings are what's paralyzing you. Maybe it's not actually your feelings that are paralyzing you. Maybe it's your feelings about the relative importance of your feelings that's paralyzing you, maybe. So what are feelings? I said a minute ago that they're not the most important thing about you and they're not your heart. How can I prove that from the Bible? Well, there's a Hebrew and a Greek word for heart, and then there's a Hebrew and a Greek word for what we would say are feelings, and they're two different words. The Hebrew word for heart is heart. The Hebrew word for feelings, there are two different ones. One is the word bowels. And one is the word liver, both parts of the human anatomy. There's a Hebrew word for your heart, which is different than the Hebrew word for emotions or feelings. The Hebrew word that, that translates what we mean by emotions or feelings is the word bowels or liver, or sometimes it's translated Kidneys. Uh, Lamentations one verse twenty. This is just a verse where he's describing feelings, and he says this: "Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me. Behold, O Lord, I am in distress. My bowels are troubled, and my heart is turned over within me. The heart is in there, but also the bowels, the kidneys, which are more in line with what the Hebrews the Hebrews would call feelings." Uh, Lamentations two verse eleven. In Lamentations two verse eleven. He's watching like the saddest thing that he's ever seen. And he's describing the feelings of sorrow. And this is what he says. Mine eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured out upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns and my bile is poured out on the ground. Stomach, bile, liver, bowels. That's what it's getting at when it's getting at feelings. One verse is Psalm seven, verse nine, and I, you know, when when uh, I went to seminary and they taught me Hebrew and Greek, one of the things they told me was don't ever use Hebrew and Greek to tell people that don't know Hebrew and Greek that like that they can't trust their Bibles. You can trust your Bible totally. The translation's good. But just for a second here, I'm going to point out a spot where I don't think the translation is good. doesn't mean that you have to toss your ESV. It's a wonderful translation. But it's just, they're trying to get at the English language, but they're kind of, in this one instance, I think they they unnecessarily twist the the Hebrew language. The reference, and you don't even have to look it up because it's not going to be right, is Psalm 7, verse 9. And I, I like that verse because in the Hebrew, it has heart and emotions right next to each other. And the ESV translates Psalm 7, 9, O Lord, you test the mind and the heart. But the Hebrew is, O Lord, you test the heart. That's what it means by mind. Heart is the mind. And then it says, O Lord, you test the heart, which should be translated mind. And the ESV says, and the heart, but it literally in Hebrew says, and the kidneys, and the kidneys. You test the, what we would call heart, what the Hebrew calls the mind, or what we'd call the mind, what the Hebrew calls the heart, and the kidneys, the emotions. In the old KJV of Colossians 3.12, the the apostle's talking to the church, and he's like, you should be more compassionate to each other. And he says this, therefore as the elect of God put on bowels of mercy. It's your liver, your bowels, your stomach, where that feeling of sympathy is coming from. So this is just to say that your heart is not your feelings, and your feelings aren't the most important thing about you. Second question. So what is the heart, and how does the heart relate to the feelings? See the question? So what is the heart, and how does the heart relate to the feelings? Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance. or We would say mind. We would say the center of you for from it flow the springs of life. That's the most important thing about you, is your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Whenever we read the word heart in Scripture, we should understand that it's a comprehensive term for the totality of what makes you, you. The whole unity of your inner nature. Who you are, what you love, what you live for. We... We don't pause enough to recognize this. Even in our parenting, kids, even in your behavior, if if you're good or bad or you obey or disobey, we don't pause enough to recognize this. Who you are is revealed by what you say and what you do. But who you are isn't what you say and what you do. Who you are is revealed by what you say and what you do. But what you say and what you do is motivated by your heart. What you say and what you do is motivated by what you love. What you say and what you do is motivated by what you live for. Abraham Kuyper, an old theologian, says, the heart is that point in our consciousness in which our life is still undivided and lies comprehended in all of its unity. What the physical heart is to the body for health. The spiritual heart is to the soul for holiness and spiritual health. It's like the control center. It's like the engine and the steering wheel. It's not just the steering wheel. It's the engine and the steering wheel and the drivetrain and the wheels. It's the whole thing, the control center, the, the, the one place. So if that's what the heart is. How can my heart help my feelings, or how can my heart help change my feelings? Your heart can help change your feelings. Your heart can help change your feelings. I'm not going to oversell it here. There are a lot of reasons you feel the way that you feel. It could be hormonal. It could have something to do with your thyroid. It could have something to do with your diet. It could have something to do with how much sleep you got. There's not, like, one way to, like, change your feelings. There's a lot of reasons why you feel the way you feel. But your heart can, can change or influence your feelings. It can. It can. And uh, here are a couple of places. Again, you don't have to look, turn to them, but I'll say their references twice if you want to write them down. Luke chapter 2, verse 19. Luke chapter 2, verse 19. It says this. Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. See? Luke 2, 19. Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. Your heart can influence your feelings Because what you treasure in your heart and what you ponder in your heart under all normal circumstances should have a high impact on your feelings. You are accountable for what your heart remembers, you are accountable for what your heart treasures. What you say and what you do reveal what your heart treasures. Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. You ever heard this verse, Psalm 119, verse 11? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Psalm one nineteen eleven. You are accountable for what you store up in your heart. What does your heart ponder, like it said about Mary? What does your heart store up? What do you think about? when you're just drifting along and you have nothing particular that you need to be thinking about. What do you ponder in your heart? Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8 are filled with with verses that say, lay up my word in your heart, lay up my word in your heart, bind it on your wrists, tie it on your finger, keep it before your eyes, treasure up my word in your heart. So your heart can influence your feelings and you're accountable for what you write on your heart. Proverbs 3, verse 3 talks about writing on your heart. Proverbs 3, verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs 7, verse 3 is almost the same as Proverbs 3, verse 3. Proverbs 7, verse 3, keep my commandments and live. Keep my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. You know the word that we use, is, uh, um, it's even on one of the screens on your phone, it's called record, record. Interestingly, the, the Latin root C-O-R-D is Latin for heart. What you record is what you write on your heart. To record something is to place it firmly in your heart. So if you you choose to treasure and ponder certain things in your heart, that'll influence your feelings. If you think you didn't choose and your mind is just sort of drifting, whatever your mind is drifting to will also influence your feelings. Your heart can help your feelings. So that's one question. What is the heart and how does it relate to my feelings? Let's ask another question that hopefully will be helpful. How can my eyes... Help my feelings. How can my eyes help my feelings? He talked about keeping in, in Proverbs 4, he talked about let your eyes look directly forward. 425, let your gaze be straight before you. He said in verse 21, let not them escape from your sight. Keep them in your heart. What the eyes focus on, the heart tends to ponder and think about. If I could ask you to turn from Proverbs 4, I'd like you to see Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. To answer the question, how can my eyes help my feelings? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what's amazing? Hebrews 11 talks about the example of all these people that you could look at and you could learn from their faith. One of the great, great, great benefits of being a part of a church like ours is that you don't have to live the Christian life alone, and there are examples around you that when you get in a jam, you don't have to just look on YouTube. That's kind of sad. You can talk to someone who knows how to help you. This is a wonderful part of being a part of the church, and so he emphasizes this in Hebrews 11, but then as soon as he gets to the therefore in Hebrews 12, as much as he said it's good to look at the people around you and follow their examples, he's like, but there's one. But there's one, but there's one to whom you must never stop looking. The eyes can help the feelings or the eyes can harm the feelings. And what if the whole game set and match is either the eyes are looking at Jesus or the eyes are looking somewhere else? If you put Jesus on the fringe and you put something else at the bullseye, there's a lot of things about feelings I don't understand, but if you put Jesus on the fringe and something else at the bullseye, your feelings will be out of whack. They will. They will. If you push Jesus to the periphery and you put something else to the center, everything will be off kilter. Now, there are other things that matter. There are sad things that happen in life. There are prayers that you're groaning about that Jesus hasn't answered yet, and you actually know that Jesus has the power to answer them, but he hasn't answered them yet, so you're upset about that. There's all sorts of problems and challenges and struggles with our feelings, but the one thing we have to do is look to Jesus The Christian life is a fight for sight, seeing Jesus. And I, I, don't, I don't even know if I have time to take a little excursion here, but I just, I think it's worth it. Man, I love, love, love reading the Bible and I love teaching the Bible. And I don't know how many times I've taught on Hebrews 12. And yesterday when I got out the sermon notes and I looked at Hebrews 12 again, I saw something that I had never seen before. And I've taught this thing like eight times at least. I just, I love, love, love reading the Bible and teaching the Bible because it makes me notice things. And, it's, and it, the truth is so good for my own soul. I noticed, maybe, you've, maybe you got this before. He says, verse two, look to Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. See it? He says, look to Jesus. Who, for the joy that he was looking at, despised the shame. When he calls us to look to Jesus, in the very next clause, he describes in reverent terms what Jesus was looking at. It's amazing to me. And so I would say reverently... We could ask the question about Jesus' feelings and emotions because Jesus was a human, unfallen, but he had emotions. They were unfallen, but they were real. What did Jesus feel? Even in Gethsemane, when he thought about what the cross would mean, he didn't feel good. But for the joy set before him, he kept his eyes on God the Father, and the promise of God the Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit to raise him again from the dead, and he endured. See, we look to Jesus, and Jesus sets an example for us of what to look to. And I think, I'm convinced that this relates to, to Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 7, where it says Jesus sympathizes with us and he's our intercessor and our advocate. Look at Hebrews 4:14 4, to 16. This is a great place to help those who struggle with what they feel. 4:14 of Hebrews, 4:14. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our compassion. In Hebrews 7, verse 25, it says, our sympathetic high priest is right now praying for us. This is the intercessory ministry or the advocacy ministry of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do when he got to heaven? He, his, his redeeming work on the, of the cross and resurrection was completed, but his work in our redemption, in a sense, was not completed because he's still praying for us to get us into heaven. And it says in Hebrews 7, verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus right now is praying for you. So l- let me apply the glorious truth of the intercessory advocacy ministry of our sympathetic high priest to somebody who's struggling with their feelings. So you call me or we get together together. And you say, I'm, I'm, uh, I feel like my faith is faltering, and I don't feel strong enough to pray. And I will say to you, that is fine. Don't worry about it so much. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. And I can tell you, with with all the streams of mercy in the gospel, you you can look all over the New Testament. It never says that you're going to make it to heaven because you're so good at praying and you're so good at keeping your feelings in place. The Bible says you're going to make it to heaven because Jesus is there. That's it. Now, that's not all I'll say. We can get together again, and I can teach you how to soldier through and keep praying anyway, because you should. Just because you don't feel like doing the right thing doesn't give you a pass from doing the right thing. But I'm telling you in the moment when you're all overwhelmed that your feelings aren't where they're supposed to be, I'm like, well, that would really matter if some Bible verse said you're only gonna get to heaven if your feelings are always in the right place. The Bible says you're gonna get to heaven because Jesus is in the right place on your behalf. So quit worrying about it. Don't let your feelings about your feelings paralyze you about your feelings. How can the heart influence the feelings? How can the eyes influence the feelings, which is where we got to this on Jesus intercessing and looking to him? Another question, how can prayer and the word of God help my feelings? How can prayer and the word of God help my feelings? It can, but I'm using the word can. I'm not using the statement, it always will. Uh, don't go reading the Bible and praying just because you really, really, really want your feelings to change. Your feelings might not change for a while. You go read the Bible and pray because the Bible is bread and the Bible is meat and the Bible is honey. And you go and pray because you have a Heavenly Father who didn't leave you as an orphan but who loves you and asks you to bring all your requests to Him. You do those things because they're true and they're rich and they're beautiful. And I hope and I believe that Sooner or later, the truth of those feelings will, will the, the truth of those realities will influence your feelings. But first thing I'm going to tell you is don't don't be having a quiet time and reading the Bible and praying just because that, yeah, that's that, that that's the big influence that you want to get it to change your feelings. What if it takes longer to change your feelings? You going to quit? You better not. You better not. How can prayer and the Word of God help my feelings? Uh, we have an enemy without the devil. Who knows the power of prayer and who knows the power of the Word of God? So the devil, without, tries to get you away from prayer and away from the Word of God. And that, as if as if they, as if that ain't bad enough, you have an enemy within your own sin, your own flesh, that tries to keep you away from prayer and keep you away from the Word of God. So achieving and maintaining. Time in the Word and time in prayer is a struggle. Don't expect it to be anything less than that. If you're struggling to stay in the Word and in prayer, I'm actually happy about that. As long as it's an active tense verb, you're struggling. You're fighting it. You're wrestling. Part of your problem is you envision this spiritual plane of feelings where you always feel like doing the right thing. I ain't got there yet, and I'm your pastor. Like, it's it's just not always there. So I suppose you have the right to ask me, like, if being in the word and prayer is a struggle, is it ever a struggle for you? Well, of course it is. Yes, it is. And I don't, have the, I don't have the spiritual strength to, like, close my eyes and just pray and commune with God for an hour. Though I can honestly tell you that very frequently I pray and commune with God for an hour. And the way that I do that is I open the Word of God, I keep my eyes open, I meditate on the Word of God, and then I turn the Word of God into prayers. It always helps me. I'm not spiritually focused and strong enough to just close my eyes and do the right thing for an hour. This is where taking the Bible in and then meditating on it and soaking on it like a tea, like a tea bag in hot water... And then praying or breathing the Bible out in your prayers to me is the the game changer that helps me to sustain an active, aggressive, long-term prayer life and time in the Word. Too many of you feel defeated because you tried having a quiet time and it didn't work. Or you listen to the devil and the world and your own flesh and you give up. You need to be in the Word and prayer regardless of how you feel, and regardless of if it seems to be working or not, right? Let's look back to Psalm 119, the best, the best of the psalms, Psalm 119. There's a whole psalm about how the word turning into prayer keeps you going and eventually changes your feelings. You know, Psalm 119, verses 11 through 16 Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Verse 13, with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight. That's an affection word. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. And then here's the will. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Then verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I'm just saying, look at, look at how he transposes between delight, which is an affection. We could call it in some ways a feeling. And then he talks about the will. What you focus your eyes on tends to change where your affections go. You see how that works there. Same thing, and look at verse 27. Maybe it's even on the same page if your Bible's open. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Look at the emotion. Verse 28, my soul melts away with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Here's the will again. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I'll run the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Stay in the word. Memorize a verse every week. Keep a verse in your pocket at all times. Meditate on passages. Turn those passages into scripture. And uh, here's my deal for you. If you do this for two weeks, and you come back to me and you say, it didn't work, I'll meet with you and listen to you, and I'll end up disagreeing with you as your friend. Because I will have to ask you, so you said it didn't work. Yeah. Define worked. You tell me what your expectation was of what would change in 13 days and 23 hours of applying this. Tell me what you mean by working. What were your expectations? Now we're back to your feelings about your feelings are probably derailing you. What does it mean that this would work? If your expectation is that being in the word and prayer will just fix your emotional life within a couple of weeks... It's not the way it works, and that's not what I'm attempting to promise to you this morning. I'm trying to be clear about that. Six-year-old has spinach on his plate, and mom says, "If you eat spinach, it'll make you strong." And he eats the entire plate of spinach, and he walks into the garage where his 18-year-old brother's 150-pound weight is. Ah. <laughs> The spinach didn't work. <laughs> What's your expectation? What's your expectation? I cannot promise you totally transformed feelings. But can I tell you, even as I weep with you about how hard your feelings are, I can promise you something better. I can promise you joy. 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 Joy is not happiness. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is not time bound. Joy is eternal because Jesus rose from the grave and is reigning in this world. There's our joy. There's our joy. How can I help you if you're struggling with this? How can you help yourself We've, we've, we've said a lot. I just feel this is an appropriate spot to just nail down two simple things. How do you help yourself? Or if your friend is struggling in this area, how do you help them? Two simple stop and start. Number one, stop looking down and start looking up. Stop looking down and start looking up. Those who doubt and disbelieve and struggle with all sorts of, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, they, they just get wrapped around the axle Inevitably, they are folks who spend the majority of their time thinking about and fretting about the external circumstances of this life and not enough time looking to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that the external circumstances of this life don't matter. You have to think about them, you have to feel about them, you have to pray about them, you have to get help about them. I'm not saying you can ignore the circumstances of this life, nor that you should. The the circumstances of this life matter a lot. But if what you're pondering in your heart and recording in your heart is only, only, only ever those things, how is it that you'll look to Jesus? Some of you really need to stop doom-scrolling the news all the time. Of course it matters who you're going to vote for. Of course it matters what's happening in our country. But if that's all you ever look at, well, no wonder you're going to spiral down. Some of you need to quit envy-scrolling your friend's Instagram that they have everything that you don't have. That's not healthy, and it's harming you. And may I even say, more than just the harm that it's doing to you, it's keeping you from becoming the kind of person who can make and train disciples, and that's even more important, maybe. Like, get over it. Look to Jesus. Stop looking down and start looking up. Colossians 3... Verses 1 and 2, you know, it says, even though all of life is happening, our life is hidden above. Keep your mind and your eyes on Jesus. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 is a lot like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Number one, stop looking down and start looking up. Number two, stop trusting your feelings and start trusting God's facts. Number two, stop trusting your feelings and start trusting God's facts. Feelings come, and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever, for though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. Stop trusting your feelings and start trusting God's facts. Your feelings about your feelings may be what's derailing you. God's truth may be what helps you get right back on track. Feelings are untrustworthy. Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus is trustworthy. If you look to him, over time, season by season, he'll help you, and he'll lead you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, bless your people as they've gathered in your name to praise you, to hear from you, to lift up their hearts to you. Lord Jesus, bless your people. Do a marvelous, a majestic, and a merciful work in the lives of all those gathered here. Help us, we pray. We trust you to provide all that we need, Jesus, for you are good and your love as your word endures forever. Amen. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.